Welcome, Pudding People, to another episode of Everybody Loves Pudding. I am your host, Ken Butterscotch Seymour, and with me today is your other host, the fantastic Richard Vanilla Geiger. I'm va- This week you're vanilla. Next week you might be chocolate. Possibly bringing bread pudding at some point. I've always been chocolate, and now I'm vanilla it's, i like variety don't don't you as like a listener like variety existential crisis you on can't who have I am. the same pudding every single week it's just got to be it's got to be a little different at least until we come up with something that's concrete if we start getting like this the grouping of people we might have everybody have a different flavor be them and we don't even have our names we'll just be known as our flavor but it's got you that's right somebody will be tapioca our our geriatric news contributor <laughs> <laughs> this week, we went down to the street. So, this uh, this is actually a really fun episode. I'm, I'm very excited to, to be bringing it. And it's, it's something that's near and dear to my heart because it is something that I participate in. Every year, we are talking about Gen Con. Are you ready, Gen Con, right? How many years in a row have you been participating? Uh, every year that it has been in uh, Indianapolis. So ever one when it was in Wisconsin? No, that was a little too far of a drive. Partly and partly, I didn't really know about it until the uh, the chance to go to a, a couple of other conventions and people would say, "Oh, Gen Con's fantastic. Where is it? Wisconsin? Yeah, that's not happening anytime soon." Mm. But 2003, uh, this mm. very first badge that I ever had for going to Gen Con. It is. Uh, I keep all of my badges. They are. My knickknack from every con, that and the guide. But it's a very different con than it used to be. Did did you ever know about this particular convention? Uh, that's uh, negatory. Negatory? Okay. So, board game, card game, role-playing game, pretty much any type of game convention. And it grew from pretty humble origins to just be the monster that it is today. Um Besides the one that's in Germany, would you say this is one of, if not this the... This is probably the second biggest in the world. Essen is still is still the, uh, the biggest. But uh, yeah, Gen Con is pretty much right there. I know you can go to... I think it's in South Bend. And you can go to the Essen house and have lots of delicious <laughs> food. <laughs> not, not quite the same thing. Okay. But there have been some pretty phenomenal changes i mean even if you're not a game person you have to know at least somebody there's there's no way almost that you don't know somebody that plays magic the gathering nowadays because it's been around for 20 years plus um and it's just it's just this juggernaut and you know back in the back in the days when uh gen con was new that was they, I think they, I don't know if they premiered at Gen Con, but that was one of the early conventions that they were at. It's a, it's a slightly different animal than it used to be. You would get your passes, and there would often be a, a swag bag. So you would have this just, well, I mean, it was cool stuff. Packs of cards for games that you hadn't played before, like Magic, uh, or uh, promotional cards for certain games, things like that. You would get that in the bag with your um, with your guide to the convention. Now, where was this one at in 2003? I know Indy. It's but... still Indianapolis, still a convention center. I mean, so even then, it may not have been quite as massive as it is now, but it was still big. I mean, it it's, it's grown every year. At that point, it was just the convention center pretty much. But just it just got bigger and bigger and bigger. And you cannot go anywhere in Indianapolis whenever Gen Con is going without running into something from Gen Con. If you're within a mile of the convention center, good luck. It is, it is massively crowded. There are a lot of people, what, 60,000 plus, something like that. It's, it's ridiculous the number, of, uh, the number of people that attend this convention. And but, tell me about how many days the convention goes on for. So, so four days is the convention, Thursday through Sunday. Uh, it always happens in August. Uh, now, we're in August. It kind of moves around a little bit. But uh, it's if the smart people generally get there Wednesday so they can uh, get what they need. Uh, back, in the, back in the origins, different convention. 
back in the original uh, days of the con, you could go and line up, get your badge, go and sign up for your different stuff that you wanted to do, look at the book while you're waiting in line, and then do whatever you need to do. If you try and do that now, you are just asking for a world of pain. I mean, take all the worst things about going to a, a theme park, waiting in line for whatever ride, uh, except at the end of the line, there's no ride. It's just tickets <laughs> so that you can go to what you want to do later. Um, everything it's best. If you're going to go to Gen Con, you want to, you want to make sure that you're planning this out six months. To just be, be prepared. They start doing things early, uh, usually January is is when you have to really start planning for august because that's when they're going to um i believe that's when they're going to open the floodgates to be able to to start getting your uh badges and stuff and then it'll still take a while after that for the different vendors and the different people that are going to be doing events to fill up and eventually they will release the event schedule and you can pre-register for laws a lot of the events some are really popular if you're not within the first 10 minutes of when they open the gates, you're not getting in. Whatever you want is probably already full. Some things are going to be that busy. But the thing about Gen Con is it is massive. So there's so much to do. I almost, I feel terrible for saying this, but I almost never do events. Just because the main convention floor is just this gargantuan area where you can see all the new people that have, all the companies have brought out their new games and test them out. They've got other rooms to test out games. There's just a ton of stuff. But, you know, I said they had a swag bag originally, so you would just get stuff in the bag. I'm trying to remember when this changed. I think it was about 10 years ago, maybe. Couldn't do a swag, either couldn't or wouldn't do a swag bag anymore. It's instead more props coupon books they give you all sorts of discounts to stop by the different booths various vendors that are for what it is <clears throat> in and, place yep. and you still get the goodies it's just i think there are so many vendors they can't realistically put that stuff all in the same place to hand out in bags it's just not it is not um logistically feasible and then on top of that, with the number of people that attend the convention, I don't think it's feasible for the game manufacturers to bring that many copies of whatever it is. That would be just a huge monetary undertaking. Now, from the logistics of getting in and out of the convention center, but then getting into uh, Gen Con, is there really one or two ways for you to get in and that's kind of about it? Or like, do they have... The whole, like every way that you can get in is a gate for you to be able to get into the actual. It is honeycombed. You can go pretty much any way because the main, the convention center has a couple of large entryways, but there are a lot of small entryways too. So just to get into the main convention center, there's tons of entry points. The main convention hall has such a large amount of floor space that uh, usually along one side of it, there's a huge entrance. And then along the longer side, there are three entrances that you can get into it. But the, um, the vendor hall is connected to other halls. So if you're going to be uh, playing Magic or certain other games uh, as part of your events, it's possible you can come through those halls to get to the main hall. So, I mean, it is just all interlaced and interspersed. And if you don't know your way around, it wouldn't hurt if you're going to go for the first time. Like I said, get there Wednesday, not just so you can get your stuff or more appropriately, have it mailed to you. Don't try and wait in the will call line either. That thing snaked around the building this year. Snaked around the convention hall building. It was massive. Um, but... Um, but you want to kind of know the layout, know where you're going. If you can get a connected hotel, do it. That's uh, what we did this year. It's what I always try to do. It's not always feasible, and it's not always within the budget of everybody that wants to go to Gen Con because it is not cheap. Um, even with the block of rooms that they give you uh, as an option, they give good discounts. But 
the city of Indianapolis, state of Indiana, pardon me, I don't know which or both decide to do it. But because Gen Con is so large, they jack up the tax rates just massively. So expect like 20% taxes. Premium your, rates, it, let's it call them. Frustratingly annoying. I mean, I understand it's good revenue for, for the government, but it seems a little, seems a little slimy. To, to jack up rates for something that brings so much business into the town. But it's, I mean, hotels do that anyway, in a sense. Like, if you want to get a hotel room on Tuesday night, it's not going to cost you as much as it's going to be on Saturday night. So that they already have that built in anyway. But anytime there's an event like that, yeah. The hotel does, but it's not the hotel that's jacking up the rates. It's the actual tax rate increases. See, so seems... not only do they jack the rates up, the taxes are higher too. The entertainment tax. Well, you know, you got to pay for those banners that hang from the light posts. Well, yeah, the, they they did name uh, was it Georgia became uh, Gen Con Avenue or some such this year, which was kind of a sweet gesture. I, I enjoyed that. That was nice. Um, does it justify the twenty percent tax? I don't know. Um, but you know, you got to take the good with the bad. It's, it was inevitable. I have to believe that Comic-Con is the exact same way in California. They almost certainly have to just, just jack the tax rates up because you've got tens of thousands of people going to this convention. I'm sure the tax rates there are already 20%. So they just bump them up to 40. <laughs> but it's no. One of the other things that you get for going to Gen Con is this gorgeous little uh, guidebook. Now, Gen Con this year also introduced their their own app that you can get on the phone uh, to kind of get all of your information. But uh, you get kind of uh, you get kind of a guide to some general information for the uh, events that are going. And I mean, very general information. This is this year's convention guide. Last year's. Now, you don't have to cut this one because it's just over here. I'm, I'm not cutting the first one. If he doesn't cut it, you might not see uh, uh, might not see Richard for a little while. <laughs> He's going to disappear. Originally, for the previous year, they had the events actually all within the guide as well. Um, I think it's a smart move. As much as I enjoy having a physical book that has all the events in it, Having it on an app is fine, and just having the big stuff the, that you want to uh, really have known be there makes just as much sense to me. Now, for those of you just listening and not seeing, uh, I was showing pictures of these stuff. I just realized that not everybody's going to see that. Yeah, I mean, these things are... So this is looking at last year's. Does it have a number of pages? Oh, 300 pages Yeah, was last year's basically magazine that they hand out to you know 40,000 people that want to actually take them so compared to 160 from this year you know the reason that they did that is more environmentally friendly i'm sure that played into it the the people that are the owners of gen con are very forward thinking they they tend to try and take in into consideration as much as possible of, of things that really are important i mean it's a very welcoming, as, as huge as it is, it's generally a very welcoming environment. Um, uh, we generally stay away from any sort of politics or any sort of religion in this podcast. But since we're kind of talking about this anyway, they don't really, I mean, if you're religious, you're not religious, this convention is going to go over the course of four days. So that often takes families that do have a, a religious bent uh, into a location that might not be close to their local church, but they have some things in, in place to kind of uh, kind of compensate for that. Uh, they have, uh, an, there, or at least there is an organization that is, you know, Christian gamers that is generally present at uh, Gen Con. Um, they are very, they are very, they find it's very important to them that everybody is feels welcome and is represented and they deal swiftly and harshly with anybody that breaks the 
breaks the environment uh, that they're trying to create. Now, some would say that they may be not completely even-handed in how they distribute that. I can't say one way or the other because I haven't looked. I try and uh, I try and be very fair on that. And since I don't have the information, I'm going to assume that they probably are doing pretty good because they've always done well by me. Uh, and you're going there to enjoy the stuff, not to see what people they didn't want to have there you know like yeah that's... exactly exactly and you know there were there have, there have been people that have been controversial that they've had at the convention before and you know with without with a few outliers as exceptions they didn't really cause much of a fuss one way or the other people that can stir a strong reaction one way or the other there have been some people there that stir a strong reaction in me I just don't go to their events. <laughs> I ignore it. Big enough, you can kind of avoid that corner. That's right. It is. It is super easy to avoid. Um, so I mean, all in all, they do. They do just a fantastic job every year, um, and that's why it's kind of the 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 place I haven't missed one. And I, unless they move out of state, I won't miss one. Um, but. So, like I said, if you're going to go to Gen Con, it's, it's huge. So, prep early, be ready, get as good of a, a hotel room as you can, as close as you can. There is a lot of walking. We, we were connected to the convention hall. I mean, it's, it's like working at Amazon's distribution center. <laughs> you're, going to be, you're going to be going up and down aisles and picking things out, uh, you know, just with better bathroom breaks and uh, food trucks. And downtown Indy's always been a place that's been a very centralized location for places to stay, places to eat, places to uh, drink, you know, like whatever. So there's not a lot of, there are plenty of places outside of the downtown that you can stay and they come in, but there's just so much to do inside the downtown area that once you're there, there's, you don't have to go too much anywhere else really to, to have a good four days you know well and that's the other nice thing that gen con has been doing this for so long and they have so many companies that uh they they work with hand in hand that you'll get things like some of the restaurants have special menus that they do for gen con there's a brewery that creates a beer for gen con every year and you know that's one of the they'll have often glasses and you can get that and it'll it'll run out fast you better get it quick um, and from what I hear, I'm not a beer drinker myself, but from what I hear, it's generally pretty good. So, I mean, you got, you've got those relationships that you've built up, uh, and it just enriches the experience for everyone. Now, speaking of relationships and building up, you know, that kind of, um, that kind of interaction, not just with businesses, but with other people, that's kind of something that, uh, social media is used for, right? Hmm. Is it? Well, yes, it is. <laughs> and yelling at people you disagree with who are probably not listening to you anyway. It's being a, a blind face of contention. Well, yeah, absolutely. So we figure this is a good time to bring up the fact that we have social media too. I mean, you probably already know this if you're listening, but it does not hurt to tell your friends. We are on uh, Twitter as Real Pudding Guys. We're on Facebook as Pudding Guys. We are on Instagram as... Pudding guys. It's kind of a theme that goes on uh, with everything that we've got. We are even on Patreon. Now, this Patreon thing is fairly new, uh, and we would love to have your support on that. Doing this is just a passion. It's something that we love, but it takes money, and it takes time, and helping us to create new content, to get new interviews, like being able to talk to Heather Antos last week, that was fantastic only was able to do it because of some of the uh, some of the donations that we've received so that we can do the things that we need to do. Um, One dollar a month. That's all we ask. Uh, it helps us uh, to, to pay for the services and to be able to, uh, like I said, be able to get the stuff that is uh, going to create fun conversations. It's like three cents a day. Yeah. We don't want to break anybody's bank. Times are tough. 
but you know people have got stuff to spend their money on we don't necessarily want to, to kill anybody with that but one dollar I think people can avoid, uh, afford one dollar to mm. just have some fun conversations with your friends mm. you're putting friends right yay absolutely that's all the advertising we're going to do so we've got a lot more to cover on Gen Con we're going to get easily two episodes out of this because there is just a ton I'm we're going to cover kind of the, the, the flavor of it here. And then we're going to have a couple of interviews that, uh, that I was able to conduct with some very nice people in here. And then the next uh, episode, we're going to go over some more of what Gen means to go to Gen Con and some of the neat stuff that you can do. We'll have a couple more interviews. So, you know, fun stuff. I know it's uh, usually probably good to describe what's in the episode before we've uh, actually been recording for, what, 15, 20 minutes? <laughs> but... Yeah, yeah, it's in the description. Yeah, yeah, kind exactly. of, you know. Yeah, yeah. Seat of our pants. That's what I like to think. It's it's more exciting. It's more well, okay. It's not exciting. It's more real. Off the cuff. Off the cuff. So I wonder where that originated from. That's actually uh, that's a good question. Maybe it's a magic reference of some kind. Mm, hmm. Possibly. Cards flying out of your sleeves. So. So you got a feel of what you need to do if you're going to go to Gen Con. Uh, the other thing you should probably do if you're going to go to Gen Con, um, you know how I mentioned everything is more expensive? That includes food. Um, just a just a idea, well not an idea, but a piece of advice. One of the things I always look for in any time I'm going to Gen Con, if I can possibly help it, the hotel that I'm going to stay at, breakfast served. Because the average meal, if you've got four people going to Gen Con, if you get away with $40, congratulations, you're doing good. Most of the meals are not going to be that cheap, even if you're just eating the food in the convention center. I mean, you're getting usually $15 per person per meal. So that's 60 bucks a pop. Just go to Steak and Shake. You could also good luck with that. Very popular uh, steak and shake downtown Indianapolis during Gen Con. You're probably not getting in. And it's actually still open too. <laughs> it is. A lot of things aren't there anymore. But if you can get the breakfast included, that takes out one meal. You just have to worry about lunch and dinner. And some people have been known to take uh, peanut butter and jelly sandwiches, snacks, Slim Jims, go cheap kind of during the midday and just have the one big meal around dinner time because some people don't want to leave the, the convention hall floor either because there's just so much to do and to look at but uh, I guess that's enough of the advice for, for the convention I'll have more in the next episode from my many decades of, of attending the conventions I've got advice adult diapers I'm probably already being used by some of the people. Gamer funk is a thing to be afraid of mm. at the conventions. Uh, that's the other, I guess, the last piece of advice I'll do, truthfully. Shower. Shower <laughs> often. Please. Yeah, that would be that would be really great. Be kind to your fellow gamers. Especially if you're walking around in uh, you know, some type of cosplay that's heavy duty that you've worked a lot of time on. Uh, probably hot and sweaty inside there. It is, it is a rough environment during August to be in multiple layers in a costume. I have a great deal of respect for people that do that. Um, so anyway, that was kind of just a little taste, a little bit of uh, experience. Now, one of the fun things that I was able to do as part of this was speak with a handful of uh, game manufacturers, people of interest, and just get a little snippet of what's going on in their lives and in their professional uh, careers and what, what are they bringing out, what are they doing. So the first one up that we're going to deal with has to do uh, with uh, Jasco Games. Um, now, if you listen to our Origins review, you'll know that uh, we, well, I attended Origins, and was uh, lucky enough to speak with Amber Benson, uh, who was on Buffy the Vampire Slayer. And the whole reason I was able to speak with Amber was because she came out to help promote the Buffy the Vampire uh, Slayer board game, which is produced by Jasco Games. Um, they were good job, Jasco. <laughs> that is a good job. That game is really, really fun for certain groups of gamers. Um, 
doesn't work so well if you have somebody that's very controlling that kind of wants to orchestrate everything. Uh, that kind of takes some of the fun out of it. If you've got a nice, a nice group of people that can cooperate and kind of get into the feel of everything, it flows really well. And it's, it's a great game. Um, I, I enjoyed it. And the production value is high. The art is good. Um, just solid all around. But that's not the only game they make. So I had a chance to sit down with one of the gentlemen involved with Jasco Games, and he tells me a little bit about the history of the company, some of the products that they've got, and hopefully you will enjoy it. All right, back at Gen Con 2019, we are here with Jasco Games, and specifically we are with Kai Nesbitt. Thank you for joining me. Thank you. It's good to be here. So uh, for those that are familiar with the podcast so far, we were lucky enough to have a brief moment to speak with Amber Benson at Origin. Uh, the reason that we had that ability is because of the game she was associated with. The game was produced by Jasco. So I would love to know, because I enjoyed that game so much and I've enjoyed some of your other games, I would love to know a little bit about the history of the company, kind of how you guys came onto the scene. Okay. so. Um so it's interesting. I've, I've got a quite quite the history with uh, Jasco Games. Um, I've only been with the company for four months, but uh, I've been with the property off and on for like the, my entire 17-year career in the industry. So um, I'll start there a little bit, just so we can kind of go figure out where where the first product that Jasco made comes from. So J Jason, um, the founder of Jasco, uh, started the company at 13. He uh, was selling workshop out of his house under contract with Games Workshop uh, as a store. So he was able to convince them to um, basically be a 13-year-old retailer. And then um, with, with licensing from his mother and, and all that kind of thing. So it was all, it was all about board. It's got some hoods, um, Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, so and then at 16 he had he had a location and ran that store through high school and um, and then uh, continued to go to finish school and go through all that stuff and and be involved in the industry that way and um, uh, during that time I was actually uh, started at Sabretooth as an intern uh, right before the launch of their first Warhammer 40k game um, and. Uh, Flash forward three years later, we have hired my best friend since seventh grade, who ends up being one of the primary designers for UFS, uh, David Freeman. Uh, so Ryan Miller and David Freeman designed the game. Um, and uh, so... It's okay, we all are. That's why we're in study hall. The game came out for a few years through Sabretooth, and then it was sold uh, through Fantasy Flight. And then Jason uh, was able to acquire the game through from Fantasy Flight uh, and continue the game until this day, which has been about, I believe, 13 years. Um, and during that time, we've kind of I've, I've met him and gone back and forth about things. We've always got along, and uh, and and he's been able to really build uh, build a beautiful community. Um, the the UFS players are, are, are great. They're friendly. Like it's been uh, in the spirit of the of what we tried to build when we first started at Sabretooth. So um, we've always kind of talked about like, oh, it'd be cool, cool to work together on again. You know, and then recently, four months ago, he's like, hey, buddy, I need some help. And uh, it was perfect timing for me. Uh, and so I've been able to come back and right at a time when uh, Jasco's really got some exciting things going on. So, okay. So, like I said, my introduction to the company was was the bu was the Buffy game. Oh, basically. Buffy, yeah. But what was the first kind of big hit that kind of put Jasco on the map? So, I would say, you know, honestly, I think the biggest the board game for sure was Buffy. Like that was when when they came into board games, Buffy has done amazing. Um, I mean, I think one of the things that really uh, stands out about the company is the passion and the, the fandom of the, the products that we do. We don't do products that we're not already fans of and in love. So, um, you know, we had a lot of people that were, were, were great fans of Buffy, and I think that really lends to a game that really uh, catches that, that kind of, what, the things that people love about the, game, about the show represented in the game. So that, that has done really well. We've gone through... Uh, Tons of print runs on this this product. We just launched our expansion, Friends and Frenemies, which is a, a great addition to to the base game. Um, new characters, all that kind of stuff. We've got an angel game actually coming out uh, within the next uh, so many months. Um, 
to expand on that with even more characters. And um, so it's that that has been, I think, like the saw that that's been that that would be a, the core of a board game. Size. Okay, now uh, you've gotten my attention now with that. Uh, <laughs> uh, Will the Angel game be kind of uh, an expansion on the same themes, or will it be a different kind it's of It's really interesting, actually. It's, 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 the gameplay is different, okay. but you can use the character cards from any of the games. So the character cards actually will work in, from Angel will work in Buffy, nice. and the Buffy characters will work in Angel. So they're, it's basically cross-compatible that way, but the gameplay will be um, uh, quite a bit different than what Buffy is now. So Now, we were talking a little bit before we, we started recording. In fact, uh, there was a, a game that sold out right as we were talking. Yeah, uh, that, that was really popular. What? What? Tell me a little bit about that and what made it such a such a hit this year at the. Okay, at the so Cowboy Bebop uh, is a is a an amazing anime. Um, uh, it's a show basically about um, a crew of, of characters that travel um, as bounty hunters catching uh, catching criminals, but. They're almost always constantly hungry and starving and almost out of fuel. Uh, and they all have these little side side stories that, that they follow and take off. And, and um, I mean, it's a really, really um, fun and um, engaging anime. And so we captured that in the board game as well. So it's a cooperative game that uh, you play as the characters. Um, and you've got, uh, you basically have to manage your, your, your fuel. You know whether you're gonna starve to death while trying to accomplish these these little personal side objectives, and then also create capture the bounty. And the, to win the game, you have to complete all your side objectives, your 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 personal objectives, and and the the one together, um, and not starve. And I, I think one of the coolest things about it is Ein, the dog that's in the show, is mm -hmm. actually a universal resource. So oh. one once per player turn, uh, you know once you know. One person can use that use them as a resource. That, that's, that's that's pretty really funny. Yeah. Now now I'm hoping that it includes a, a CD of the really awesome jazz music. That's a, that's a part of the intro, right? It's got to come with it. That would be great. Oh, but uh, you can you can you can YouTube that. <laughs> and I, I, actually, that's one of the things. Like uh, actually, our our graphic designer, his favorite. This is his favorite game, and he's 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 like, oh yeah. You just got to listen to the music while while you're playing the game. It's, it just adds a great ambiance. So yeah, I can I, I I would probably agree with that. It's it's one of my favorite soundtracks to any any anime yeah, that I think really I've ever great. heard. What is uh What's one of your favorites? Probably that's going on right now. Uh, what we're you, doing? What What's one of your favorite games that you guys have coming out right now? Oh, oh boy! I, I mean, I'm a big fan of all of them. I mean, there's also you know, of course the history with uh, UFS UFS, which we're Actually, there's a big. We've just announced a big change in the system. Well, the system's staying the same. We're going to rebrand the uh, the game itself as Universes. We've always ah. had a little bit of trouble with people saying UFS, UFC, USF. You know, so it, and it's and it's a brand that's been around for a long time, and we're giving it kind of a more upgraded treatment, great, a, a little bit more intuitive uh, design to it, with the launch of the My Hero. Um, Academia release, which will be first quarter of next year, which is super exciting for me on a lot of levels. Not just on getting to play the, the game that I've been familiar with for so long, but My Hero is uh, my and my kids' favorite anime. Um, and in fact, my daughter is uh, has been writing like fan fiction. She's written like ten. She's fourteen. She's been writing f ten pages of fan fiction. She's constantly reading other stories. She's going to cosplay. For her first time as a My Hero character, That's so we're fantastic. super excited about this. Nice. Um, so, so we know about the games, and we we I've talked about this to a handful of different manufacturers. What are as uh, as somebody that's kind of behind the scenes? What are some of the things that you uh, really relish about working on games in general, or what are some of the uh, unexpected? Um, Roadblocks. Well, maybe not roadblocks, but some of the difficulties, the things that you have to overcome in order to make these projects work the way that you want them to. Oh wow, that's a. I've got a lot of lot of history of that. Um, I mean, I think for me, I, I came into the industry as a big fan. You know, uh, growing up with these games. Uh, you know, from war games to collectible card games to you know just board games. So there's. There's that fandom of it, but like one of the things I love about what we do, and the thing, and I, I love the licensing side of stuff because um, getting to create 
experiences from things that you loved as a kid or or now or whatever but 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 being able to immerse yourself in that world um, has been really awesome I mean like you know some people really want to create their own worlds right you know like that kind of thing or but I really love getting to work on something that 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 I got to geek out about um, and then and then create an experience for other players or other people that that reflects how I see that fandom you know and that's something that that, that you know Jason is also a huge uh, proponent of I mean retro is we had a lot of retro products you know Mega Man pixel tactics with level nine in games partnership I mean Street Fighter all these things these are things that um, we've always loved so to be able to kind of get on the back end and and then you know get to see what goes on behind the scenes uh, of these these properties that that you saw as a kid like it's really cool I uh, so if you're not familiar and you're listening to this there are so many different uh, so many different properties that Jasco has made has made games surrounding whether they're television shows whether they're anime what is one of the oddest choices do you think that has been co-opted into a game by Jasco uh, oddest choices huh Huh. Gosh, that's a good question. I mean, they're, they're all a little odd because they're all kind of the, the kind of geeky stuff. I mean, um, something you would not have expected to choose. You know, uh, I think. Well, you know, actually, the system of UFS, which was ultimately originally designed as a as a fighting, you know, like Street Fighter versus Darkstalkers versus Soul Calibur, right? Yeah. And then, um, like, adding the anime titles into that uh, is was not necessarily intuitive because it's like you know it, it, the system is designed as you know like kind of like how do we represent cool video game combat in, in cards? But the, the cool thing is it's it's, it's flexible. It, it's turned out to be flexible enough that you really do get like that really cool experience that you see in anime of like you know. You know, those power-ups and the, you know, like Deku in My Hero, like how he, you know, he's he, he's a strategist, but he's, and he's not super tough all the time, but he has a super powerful ability to attack, but it's, it's like there's a drawback to that, right? He can injure himself. And like how the, how the card game, you can get that feeling actually playing it. You're like, you actually kind of get into the headspace of that. So it's been really interesting to see kind of that. Like, see a system that was just designed to kind of be like, oh, this is totally cool, like Street Fighter and, and things like pretty like you know, that, that, that side-scrolling fighting games and then be able to do something really kind of neat that is very thematic and really rich with um, with a deeper story super cool like that was not something I would have necessarily expected we could have done with that game but. that is definitely cool now you can take a look at all of the products for Jasco on their webpage, which is pretty easy to get to but I'm assuming that you also have some uh, social media presence as well. Absolutely. So uh, yeah, yeah. Check out our Jasco Games uh, Facebook. Um, uh, we've got a lot of. We've been announcing a lot of cool stuff. Um, you know, we've had a lot of fun on the social media lately with with uh, announcing My Hero and getting all kinds of new players and content. So um, yeah, hit us up if you need. If you have any questions, hit our messenger. Um, yeah. So. Uh, yeah, stay tuned for all, lots of cool things. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much for taking yeah. a few minutes to talk with me and tell me about some of the cool stuff that Jasco has and has coming out, and uh, I'm definitely looking forward to it myself. And until next year, I'm sure we'll see you again. Yeah, thank you for the, the opportunity to talk to you. <laughs> so, cool, right? They had all sorts of really neat stuff, and if you go onto our webpage, we're going to have Jasco Games uh, have a guest page just like any person will. We'll have some pictures of uh, some of their stuff that's up there. It'll be good. And of course, some links straight to their website so that you can see some of the products that they have to offer. And, you know, it's just it's just neat stuff. Uh, uh, and a lot of it's going to be things that you might or might not recognize. A lot of uh, anime-related products, but uh, for those that aren't anime, you know, knowledgeable, it doesn't matter because the games are just really good. Um, but very, very cool. I enjoyed that greatly. Um, one of the other things that I was able to do, uh, one of the big 
presences at Gen Con every year. If you go to Gen Con, they are booth 100. They're always in the first spot you can possibly go to Gen Con. They've been doing this for a while and uh, they they make some really great products. We've been lucky enough to, to talk to a couple of the individuals associated with this company before. Zombie Orpheus Entertainment. They make movies, they make television shows, they uh, do just a variety of different interesting things. Um, I was able to get Ben Dobbins, who is the man that runs Zombie Orpheus, or at least uh, the man that's at the at the masthead. <laughs> His name is on the card, sort of a thing. Uh, one of the nicest guys that you have a chance to meet. Hardworking gentleman. Always, it's it's almost a running gag. Almost always just exhausted at every Gen Con because he's running all over the place trying to make things happen to get things to, to occur that need to occur to produce the best content and to, and to make the best stuff. And, and he's, it's, it was just a fun little conversation. He's able to spend a little time with us and talk to us about uh, what's coming up. Now, the, my favorite part about this particular interview is I decided to try and record it if you're watching it in video right now. Uh, with uh, the 60s and 70s uh, Batman television show in mind. We want to have that camera angle where it's just kind of going up mm. <laughs> into the angle. The only thing I'm missing is a, a bam or an oomph. Of course, there's really no combat to speak of, but, you know, who doesn't like a... No Burt Ward either. Yeah, no, but uh, we'll be able to see him soon enough. Not on this show, just on TV. Here we are at Gen Con 2019. I'm here with Ben Dobbins, the mastermind, the man with the plan, the person at the top of the pyramid of Zoe. Too much build up? Yeah, well, I mean, I'm such an anti-capitalist that like the whole pyramid CEO <laughs> thing makes me super uncomfortable. Like, I, I tried to figure out, okay, can I can I join the IWW? Can I join the union? And they all said, no, you're, you're CEO, you're, you're not allowed. And, and so, uh, you know, I, I, I try to keep it as much of a collective experience as possible. That, that, that makes sense. It makes it more family-friendly, right? right. You know? More, more family-friendly. Right. It, it's like the balance between uh, we all make decisions together within, under the context of a benevolent, benevolent dictatorship. <laughs> we hope it's benevolent anyway, you know, right? It, it, it's more a lot of people who've come, in all, in all honesty, it's a lot of people who've come together to execute a particular plan who believe in that plan. Yeah, uh, and that you know, I came up with a plan of originally, but now it's such a group effort and has evolved so much because you get a bunch of people together who are all brilliant. Um, you're going to come up with something better than any one person could do. Well, that actually kind of leads into the first thing I wanted to talk about. Mm -hmm. uh, Zoe's been around for a little while now yep. and has managed to accomplish some pretty amazing things in the mm -hmm. time that you have uh, managed to, to just dazzle us with uh, some wonderful okay. movies and episodic okay. television. What this year is something that you're really excited about? Sure. So we just finished kickstarting Journey Quest Season 4. Uh, we did the math recently and realized uh, for a f all four and a half seasons of the show, we have raised over $1.2 million wow. for a tiny little web series, which is just baffling. I, I, I can't comprehend that. So we're going to be shooting this fall in Canada, if all goes well. Nice. Uh, I'm now a permanent resident in Canada, uh, and so we're going to work with all those exciting tax credits and uh and film incentives and you know and i'll be able to go home at night well yeah seattle's just around the corner right i live in canada oh you so live in canada yeah, that's I'm right moved. that's right yeah yeah so uh, we're doing journey quest uh i'm leaving tomorrow morning for mongolia where i'm going to be shooting the next strollers episode nice and the the actor from uh, multiple actors from the prior strollers mongolia episode are coming back so fantastic we're continuing that story uh, so those are going on. We're, we have more shows in development all the time, and it just comes down to how quickly we can produce on in tiny independent budgets. I heard that the current shooting location is somewhat remote. Oh, for the August shoot. Yes. So for the Strowlers episode, as far as I know, we're primarily shooting in Ulaanbaatar. Um, however, I'm going to begin the Mongolian adventure by spending a couple days in a car heading north and the car will go off the roads at some point because they do that there 
Um, it's it's really weird. You're on the highway, and it's like, nope, now we're just going to turn off into a random field and go <laughs> over a mountain. Uh, and then, so we'll do that. Then we'll switch to horseback and eventually end up in the remote dark. Darkhad Valley, the home of Mongolian shamanism, where uh, the people who live there herd reindeer and ride reindeer. So I actually don't know what we're shooting there. I just know that when uh, your friend reaches out on Facebook and they happen to be Mongolian shamanism and they say, come to Mongolia, bring your camera, uh, let's get you special permission from the mongolian military to attend this to enter this restricted area wow uh you say yes i will miss three days of gen con for that oh that's uh that's that is an adventure not a lot of people get the (laughs) chance to kind of go just halfway around the world to create uh something that uh, can be shared through people that might not have a chance to even in a picture uh see what what's there what there are a few things that just excite me about this, especially with what we're doing with Strowlers. Um, it's a global story that's interconnected, that is you know, where we're going and we're, we're telling stories that could only be told in one place, that are stories created by locals who are immersed in the culture, who are immersed in this experience, and then kind of putting it through the lens of modern fantasy. Uh, we shot in Denmark, in Copenhagen, this spring, and ended up coming up with this beautiful story. It's premiering here at Gen Con, and I'm going to miss it because Mongolia. Um, this beautiful story uh, that was put together by uh, a war refugee from Bosnia, uh, an Iranian immigrant, and a native Dane, uh, and the perspectives that they all brought to that to come up with a story that could only happen in this particular neighborhood in Copenhagen, but that will be universally accessible, one, and then two, that's gonna tie into the Irish story directly, that will eventually tie into the Mongolian story, into the Seattle story. Um, there's, there's just something so special t- to me about having these hyper-local voices who are often not heard or underrepresented or marginalized uh, than participating in this global endeavor that gives them a platform and a way to be heard and to be seen. Well, and a lot of uh, a lot of at least casual mm-hmm. moviegoers are mm-hmm. starting to become more familiar with stories that are connected through multiple right. movies yeah. and things. But yeah. this is even different than that because this is an open an open, an open world. world, right? Yeah, that's exactly it. Uh, we've thrown out traditional copyright not just for Strowlers, but for gamers, for Journey Quest, for Demon Hunters, and said, not only can you remix, not only can you tell your own stories, but you are actually totally free to create your own commercial derivatives, to sell them, uh, and to participate in this. Because, uh, I mean, Zoe's been based from the very beginning on giving everything away, and we finally reached that point where we realized, oh, we actually can give everything away. So the only thing we really retain now is the showrunner for each show or the writer's room are the people who decide what's canon, what's an official part of the story. That's that's pretty awesome. And so I, I kind of wanted to, to ask this because, mm-hmm. you know, I have a, a certain outside perspective having sure. yeah. been uh, been lucky enough to be able to see mm-hmm. the stuff that you've done from the beginning. So you had this, this core group of individuals that were involved in the early projects. Right. And right. they've all kind of branched out into different directions. Mm-hmm. How exciting is that? It, it's exciting in a number of ways. First of all, I mean, we have people who participated in the first Demon Hunters and never came back. We have people who participated in the first Demon Hunters 20 years ago <laughs> who are still making movies with us. And so it's this, this ongoing process of, of people finding their voice and exploring their passions, but also being able to then say, you know what, it's been 15 years, let's come together, bring the entire cast back and do another movie with the original Gamers cast. Uh, and, and that kind of... And that happens because of community, it happens because of friendships, uh, and it happens because of, of passion for, it's fun working together, you know? Okay, now for the hard questions. Yeah. I, I don't have very many of them, truthfully. I, I like to make things nice and fun. Mm-hmm. But in creating something mm-hmm. of this scope, mm-hmm. what are some unforeseen obstacles that you may have run into, and how, how did you overcome 
some of them. You know, the biggest obstacle we're facing right now is has nothing to do with us. It's the internet was designed as an open platform, and it's a platform based fundamentally on being able to make perfect digital copies of information, right? Which creates it, and, and platform you know, platforms create culture and they create behavior, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, Twitter creates Nazis, for example. <laughs> it does seem that way sometimes. Um, so does Facebook. Uh, but it, the the internet, it's at its fundamental purpose, it creates abundance. But you know, from a media perspective, uh, you know, we came the physical world. And capitalism are a scarce—it's a scarcity economy. Whether that scarcity is real or manufactured is a mm-hmm. whole other discussion. Yeah. Um, and so, in this transition, from what we've seen is that all the people who have an extremely vested interest in maintaining scarcity economy—we saw this with the music industry, we saw this with the film industry—they right. all want to lock their content down. They—they uh, they want to create the walled gardens. Mm-hmm. Uh, they want to make sure it doesn't get pirated. It doesn't get. It does that the internet doesn't do what the internet is built to do, and and that that's created kind of an evolution of the platform over the years from something with a, a lot of promise and a whole lot of openness to now these massive walled gardens that are in direct competition with each other. Other like for example, it used to be you could embed a YouTube video on Facebook and it would play on Facebook. Right. But now Facebook is getting into video. They want people staying in their walled garden. They turn that function off. And so we've seen each of them kind of, first of all, be very opening, open, very welcoming. How can we make this easy for you? Mm-hmm. And now it's how can we make money? And that means reducing function, reducing services for a captive audience. Right. And how that affects us is that every platform we use gets worse and worse and worse every year. And they all are trying to monetize the relationship that we have with the fans. So yeah. it becomes more, and that has now extended. For years, we could get around that because of email. That has now extended to email as well, especially with Google introducing their multiple tabs for primary, for uh, uh. for marketing, for and so our emails now mostly get pro- shunted to promotions or updates folders mm-hmm. and the open rate has gone dropped in half. So, uh, the ongoing challenge that we did not anticipate because we figured internet, right. Right. Is that, uh, the relationships that we build would become, would end up with walls between them designed by these large tech companies who want to make money off of our ability to communicate openly with each other. It does seem, at least on the positive side, at least in the in the gaming community, that there is, for the most part, a mm-hmm. shared experience. So there is always going to be at least a, a certain level of support for people that like you mm-hmm. that are willing mm-hmm. to create something and bring something fresh yes. to the audience. Yeah. And I, I think, uh, I hope, that you've uh, seen that in the uh, yeah. response. You, you know, over, overall, yes. I mean, we exist because of that rela- those relationships, right? Yeah. Yeah, that's absolutely why we're here. And it's, you know, it's the third parties in the, that mediate our access to those relationships that make it difficult. Um, you know, I think where that has changed over the years, and we, again, didn't anticipate this, we wanted to be very open. Mm-hmm and include everyone in our audience. And we eventually had to learn very painfully that the only way for us to maintain a healthy community and a healthy audience um, was to learn how to differentiate between people who are saying, I want to be treated as human, and people who are saying, I want to be able to dehumanize other people. And, and And so, so many places are forced to make a choice between those two. And the ones who want to dehumanize so often have the loud voices and say, "We're going to take our money away. We're going to complain," um, and you know, they co- and they tend to come from very kind of entitled and often clueless positions. And so we had to choose. And so as a result, we've absolutely had people leave our community mm-hmm. because we said it's more important that we be welcoming for LGBTQ 
people. It's more important that we be welcoming for disabled people. It's more important that we be welcoming for women. Even that was controversial. A bunch of people rage quit us because we made a movie that suggested that women are people instead of objects. That seems kind of odd. Uh, it's And that's the problem. The, the internet exacerbates, it moves data around. And it's easy to make money off of moving hate around, which is why all the major platforms allow it to happen. Yeah. Yeah, I think, uh, I think, I think though, one of the things that I've really enjoyed mm -hmm. about, uh, about the projects that you've done is everything that you've seemed to approach has been from a place of, of sharing joy, of yeah. sharing something mm -hmm. positive and moving that Sharing forward. joy, sharing empathy, sharing understanding. Gamers was successful because every, every movie about gamers up to that point had been, hey, let's laugh at the dorks mm -hmm. in the basement. And we said, we're coming to this from a position of love, and we're going to laugh with ourselves from inside of it. You can do comedy about anything. Right. You just have to not punch down. Yeah. And that, that's kind of our fundamental rule. Uh, instead of punching down, we say, how can we, if we're going to punch, we're going to punch up. And, uh, and that allows us to make humor about anything. But it has to come from the people. If, if you're going to make humor about politics, you need to, it needs to be the humor for the oppressed, not of the oppressor. That seems to make sense to me. Well, what's what's the next step? What's the next big thing? Mm -hmm. Sure. Um, you know, I want Strawlers to be successful. I want Journey Quest and Gamers to be successful. It's continuing to build those. Uh, the next big thing, I don't know when it will happen. You know, we've, we've kind of been on this slow, grassroots, linear growth curve for years. And, we, you, you know, the question is, will we hit kind of an inflection point? where we're able to level up and to reach a lar larger audience or to attract name talent. Uh, because gr while we can continue to do what we're doing, there's a certain as element of growth that would be helpful and right. that it would allow us to, be m to employ more people to, to work more. I'd, you know, I'm, I have no interest in unlimited growth, but you, you certainly have the goals of, hey, it, wouldn't it be nice to produce a full TV season in a year instead of in five years? That, that seems to make sense. And, well, and it's been, you've had, you've had some really interesting individuals that mm -hmm. you've been able to mm -hmm. have on the shows up mm -hmm. until this point. Mm -hmm. Let, let's end on an imaginary thing. Sure. Uh, dream scenario. Sure. Name one or two individuals that you would just absolutely love to work with at some point in the future. Hmm. I want to work with John Rogers. Really? Uh, showrunner for Leverage. Nice. He's currently working on uh, a name, the Name of the Wind uh, show. Um, I think he would be an awesome person to put something together with. Uh, I think you're a man after my own heart right there. Yeah. Um, who else? Uh, N.K. Jemison, who wrote the Bro Broken Earth trilogy. I think she is absolutely brilliant and i would do any project that she wanted to do that's too cool yeah well i want to thank you very much you're a very busy man and taking the time to speak with uh, the pudding guy here uh, uh, is uh, just fantastic and i really uh, uh, i've enjoyed it Sweet. so much thank you so much thank you i appreciate it and we're back so fantastic gentleman he's just uh, a pleasure to talk to and i always enjoy uh Zombie Orpheus's work. Uh, they have such a just a really wonderful group of people that uh, just seem to really enjoy creating something that can be shared with everybody. And as you heard from the interview, they have something that not only can be shared with everybody, but everybody can be a part of making something to be a, to be a part of that world. It's open. It's ready for the creative juices for anyone to just. Fill in and make stories, make something new. New concept. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and of course, like you'd mentioned before, we had spoken to some of our, some of those folks who are a part of that group, the larger group. So if you want to dig around on our website and see, we've got a couple of interviews. Yeah. Some of those folks. Yeah, the, and the, and uh, we'll hopefully get some more because there's, I, I kind of joked, I'm trying to get a whole set. <laughs> Of zombie Orpheus, and there's a, a couple of individuals that I'm still, that I'm still trying to, to nail down to talk to. But uh, 
So that is just the beginning of the flavor of Gen Con. So you've got a little bit of some game manufacturers, some gaming stuff that's there. You got a little bit of some uh, production of videos, movies, and uh, television shows. We've got more coming in our next episode. Oh, so much more. And uh, uh, we'll probably get into a little bit of what it's like to be on the main convention floor. Some of the highlights that you can see and do and just really immerse yourself with uh, Gen Con. And uh, we'll come back and tell you a little more about that later. Mm-hmm.